Good morning, Highland. Good morning. So wonderful to be here. Um, it's full circle in my life. Um, my kindergarten seatmate, with whom I had to hold the rope and walk from the classroom to the chapel at the United Methodist Church, where we had kindergarten, was Phil Christopher, <laughs> a former pastor here. So I've known your church a long time in, uh, in such favorable and beloved ways. And then, of course, our friendship with Joe and Terry in ministry, in life, in friendship and service has been such a great blessing. And um, your care and your blossoming as together in ministry, this church has gained such a wonderful, beautiful reputation. It is a beauty to know of your reputation under Joe's leadership in this congregation. Um, So I have to thank you for the ways in which you've supported so many things. The Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship of Kentucky, and lots of young leaders and invested your life in leadership. I think about Terry's service as a board member for the Baptist Joint Committee in Washington, D.C., in these important areas of religious liberty and the separation of church and state. And Emily Hall McGee, who is uh, just finishing up her term on the National Board for Baptist Women in Ministry, a great foundational beginning for a wonderful organization with a terrific future. And, And again, her efforts invested there. Your congregation is investing in so many ways for the kingdom, and I'm grateful to you for that and happy for your reputation. You you know, other groups will be back to you for leaders, I can assure you. So I feel like today I'm sort of standing between the history of relationships and the future. So let's pray. Word and words, oh God. Among the many, find us with your word for us today. Amen. Um, I've always loved the Gospel of Mark. You know, it's like this little, if you had to take one gospel and kind of stick it in your pocket and walk around with it, uh, I think Mark would be my gospel. I'd take it with me. Uh, Sam Wells says of Mark that there are two forming parables in it, and one of them is this parable of the sower. And um, so we know that it's important because, you know, Jesus starts out this parable with one word. What is it? Listen. And he ends the parable with one word. Listen. (laughs) He says it twice. We know he's, like, serious about this lesson here. And we also know that this is a picture, a wonderful picture, of the farmer God. God is casting and casting and casting all around. I can't, I can't read those words about the farmer casting the seed without rem, remembering myself. I grew up in Texas on a ranch where it's hard to get things to grow in Texas soil. But my dad was bound and determined to plant grass. And so he would get us, there were five kids, he'd get us all up on the top of this barren dam that he had. And we'd put these things around our neck that were a little uh, canvas things that hook around your neck. And they got a little whirly gig handle underneath him he'd load it up with seed and you just turn the thing and the seed would just go you know the thing would clickety 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 and the seed would just go out and out and out and out all around the dam until we had a huge hillside of grass this is the farmer this is God casting everywhere you know all around this kind of extravagance 
But not everyone responds to the gospel with glee, right? The message says it this way. Some people are like the seed that falls on the hard soil of the road. Satan snatches away what's been planted in them. And some are like the seed that lands in the gravel. They respond with great enthusiasm. But there is such a shallow soil of character that when emotion wears off, there's nothing to show for it. The seeds cast in the weeds, well, they're overwhelmed with worries about all the things they have to do and what they want to get. The stress strangles what they heard, and nothing comes of it. But the seeds planted in the good earth, well, they produce a harvest beyond your wildest dreams. Now, we know Jesus really means this when he says that. You know, you heard Joe read the scripture. Jesus is telling his disciples this. He starts with listening. He's telling them this story of the soils. And then he gets to the end and he goes, 30-fold. And you can sort of hear him, like, look at him. That didn't get in Okay. 60-fold. And then finally he says, 100-fold. He's trying to make this point that this harvest is abundant. It is beyond our wildest dreams, as the message says. Beyond the wildest dreams, yes. Because God's imagination, God's imagination for your life, is so far beyond your imagination for your life. What God can dream for us, what God does dream for us, Give over to it. Pray that prayer. Use me. Jesus is saying here. Because it's 30-fold. No, 60-fold. No, 100-fold. It's so extravagant. So if I know that's Christ's pleading and call and invitation to the disciples, I have to confess that it's not just about other people, but it's about me too. Inside myself, I have all these things. I've been the hard road where the seed has fallen in my life and it's been snatched away. I've been the withered, scorched plant that got so enthusiastic in the moment and then nothing came of it. I've been choked by the worries of what I need to do what I need to have, haven't you? We are these soils. Just as God is speaking to all humanity, he is also speaking to all of us and saying, give me just that corner of good soil. Just give me that one corner of good soil and watch what I'll do with it. Oh my, what a blessing, what a treasure that this is a God who just extravagantly keeps casting seed and casting ministry and casting friends. God keeps on giving. This is how he responds. When we don't respond to the gospel, he doesn't scorch us, burn us up. He doesn't cross his arms and turn his back on us and walk away. No, he keeps giving us a little more seed. Let's try it in this corner of your life. Let's, let's try this friendship. Let's try that poem, that song. What's going to be land in the good soil of our lives? God does not destroy. He astonishes us. 
He overwhelms us with keep with his grace and glory, and he astonishes us. Astonishment is a sign of grace. I mean, think about it. Think about Jesus' own ministry. When he was healing people, they were astonished. He could have saved all his healing powers for himself, his disciples, his friends, you know, those people that gave him a good contribution, you know, but he didn't, did he? No, he just gave it away. Total strangers, people he hadn't even seen yet. You know, a daughter down that house and somebody ran into, the woman just sneaking up behind him. I mean, he just gives it away. That's astonishing. That's astonishing. And it's a picture. It's a picture of ministry. It's not unlike the medical missions that we have today. Missions is a place of astonishing harvest. For many years, a mission effort can seem like rocks and weeds. And then God astonishes. Just a few weeks ago, I was with the Kachin Chen and Burmese Christians at the celebration of the 200th anniversary of the Adoniram and Ann Judson mission, the first mission, um, first Baptist mission to uh, the world in Burma. Now, you have a picture of this guy back here. He's in the bright neon green knee socks back here in the back window. That's Adoniram Judson. <laughs> and he, he and his wife Ann left the U.S. as Congregationalists, and they went to Burma. While they were on the boat, they studied the work of Carey, William Carey, who they were going to meet, who's also in the window. And he was a Baptist, and their, his writings uh, changed their mind about believers' baptism. And so when they got there, they wrote back to the Congregationalists and said, you no longer have a missionary. And they wrote to the Baptists and said, we're all yours. <laughs> Seven years before they had their first baptism or convert, Anne Judson died there, as did four Judson children. Her poems, as the grieving mother who lost four children, were so poignant and so beautiful that they were sent back to the U.S. and made into a musical tribute, a memoriam concert that was held from city to city to city to city throughout the United States. And her plaintive song about the loss of her children became the heartfelt connection for so many people to their mission and ministry in Burma. They did not come home. They stayed. And today... Today, there are hundreds of thousands of Burmese Christians. Chin, Kachin, and you've got a, a very large and vital community here in Louisville of these. And, and, of course, they're under terrible persecution today. It's one of the reasons they've come to the United States. This kind of harvest... It can feel like the scorched earth for a while, and then it's this unbelievable result to transform the world by engaging in God's mission with the most neglected. That is the commitment for the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship and the way in which we do missions in the world, to use our field personnel and partners in holistic, sustainable, transformational mission and ministry, drawing from that history But missions is more than history and tradition. It's personal. It's personal. 
me tell you a little bit about 21st century missions. What does it mean to be a missional organization in the 21st century for the greater world? Recently, I was in uh, Zambia, and we were there for a despicable and evil thing. It's referred to commonly by the people in Zambia. They call it the hunger season. It happens all the time. It's so common. They have a name for it, like Black Friday shopping after Thanksgiving or you know, and holiday time. They just call it the hunger season. What does it mean? It means there's been so little food that this is the time of year when they expect that there will be thousands of children suffering from such severe malnutrition that they ramp up their hospital wards. They ramp up their village health clinics because, hey, it's a hunger season. We're going to see thousands of kids severely malnourished. Wow. So for missions, we've had many times people that have been there to provide medical care and to staff up and to be there to help help meet the needs in that time. So we were there with a a large uh, number of people to bring help in the medical facilities and, and in the villages and throughout. There's this wonderful organization in Zambia called the Christian Hospital Association of Zambia. It's every little mission hospital and outpost you can imagine. Chaz, they're called. And they organize throughout the country for the hunger season. And it is beautiful, charitable, and meaningful work. But that's not the end of 21st century missions. One of the things that helps these children in serious malnutrition is this kind of fortified food. It's kind of like a fortified peanut butter, and their little bodies can, it can take it in, and it is, works with their body in a very uh, accommodating way. And even within 10 days, you can see remarkable change in the children. But that, that product, Plumpy Nut, it has been made for many years in the U.K., in the U.S., Uh, in Australia, and the Zambians have to import it. And so it's very costly, and there's not that much to go around. So 21st century missions isn't only sending people to help in those crisis times, but it was our team there supporting the building of a plumping up factory in Zambia. Now, that takes a lot of different skills. So we had USAID, we had the Catholics, we had CHAZ, we had the Baptist Unions of Zambia. But the Zambians, one of their main crops, their main exports is what? Ground nuts, peanuts. One of their other main crops is sugar cane. So it's kind of a duh moment, right? And they make their own plumbing nut right here? Well, sure enough, they could. They only had to import one fortified element. But it took a team to to figure out how to do that and to go down the street and find this old canning facility, which was pretty rickety and wouldn't meet all of our standards in this country, I can guarantee you. But there we were in the celebration of this plumping up factory that was Zambian. We, we are helping our children. That's 21st century mission. Giving that to the Zambians, giving that power to save more children at a cheaper cost with their Zambian food, so proudly held by the doctors in those hospitals. Touring the factory with our group, um, 
you know, it's one of those things after you get to the end, of course, what do they tell you? It's like baby food. You have to taste it. <laughs> so we're all down there like, okay, it's going to eat the plumpy nut, you know. <laughs> Actually, it tasted pretty good. It tastes like the filling in Girl Scout peanut butter cookies. <laughs> That's great. So now the Zambians have a cheaper plumpy nut. And guess who wasn't happy? The subsidized peanut farmers in these other countries. That's the difference in a Christian mission. We're there for them, not us. We're born into this time. And God is asking something of us. God is up to something very big and astonishing. That is not just history or scripture. It is today. I've learned this through you and churches like you, hundreds of churches like you. Okay, let's, let's take this for real. How many of you in this room have been on a mission trip? Either you've served on missions here in Louisville or you've been on a mission trip somewhere else. Okay, look around. How many hands are up in this congregation? Friends, I'm telling you, that is no accident. God is, he is fueling our global minds and experiences for a reason. I hate to tell you, but this isn't for your entertainment. You have been sent into the world for a bigger purpose, something that has a harvest that's astonishing. And when we look at this, we know that God is planting the seeds of John 3.16 because God so loved the I may not know you personally, but I've seen you and thousands of fellowship Baptists like you give over pieces of your lives, and I've seen the harvest a hundredfold. I truly believe that this is how we learn. We follow the person in front of us, living the life, real life way of people who love God. We, we catch it from them, and we follow them, and we learn to serve in adventurous obedience through each other. One thing that makes this church great is that you're not a church alone. You're a church connected in community by your choices to 1,800 other churches of the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship and to 135 field personnel around the world. Your gifts, your time, your commitment, your engagement, your talents tonight will help touching Miami with love, one of those touch points of light from the fellowship. These communities of missions are happening everywhere. But this chapter of our lives is not about us. We are a fellowship for the kingdom. The U.S. and the world needs serious Christ followers willing to walk some 21st century paths to adventurous obedience. And if there are 1,800 other congregations willing to explore that, it may be just the journey of adventurous obedience that will honor God in a special way. You're already intertwined with missions in so many ways. I've heard stories and met so many of you already that I know of in Morocco or in Miami or in the Appalachia. Whether it's a factory like that in Zambia or whether it's really personal like Tina and Jonathan Bailey. They serve on the island of Bali. That sounds like vacation, doesn't it? 
it's a very artistic culture, and they're both artists, a musician and an artist, and they serve there for us as field personnel in that culture doing reflection, prayer, song, worship, contemplation, and art. Uh, one of their most beautiful, she, Tina sent me a, a photo over Christmas of their interpretation of the uh, scene of Jesus' birth, all in this gorgeous garb and fabric and beauty of the Bali culture. So beautiful, so cross-culturally sensitive and beautiful. But as an artist, part of her ministry is to go into the international prison there. And she teaches an art class every week in the prison, and she brings in canvases that are three foot square, three by three. And she asks the prisoners to paint one face, one face that fills a three-foot canvas. Now, if you're in prison, whose face would you paint? For some, it's the face of the person who harmed them. And for some, it's the face of the person they harmed. And for some, it's the face of the person they miss the most, the person who loves them and who they cannot see because they're in prison. And Tina says, if you want a conversation to the heart of God, give a three-foot canvas with one face. You will meet Christ there. Missions, missions runs this beautiful gamut from the factory to the face. And this is a part of our work together. I want you to think about the about your church just right here in this congregation. In CBF, I'm describing for you our portfolio of missions. It isn't just one way or one thing we're doing, but it's a portfolio. And so do you have that portfolio. Think about this church and everything you do, your offerings, your causes, the people you send, the local engagement. It's how you're doing ministry. You can picture yourselves that way of this portfolio. It's how we do missions in partnership with others, and it's worth our serious investment. Your church has already given a serious investment. How do we do sustainable missions in the 21st century? Well, for all you've done, you probably don't know that you already have been a very important part in helping the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship launch one of our new global ministries. God is preparing a new global chapter for the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. We've recently signed an agreement with the 106 worldwide Baptist unions of the Baptist World Alliance to join in active work to advocate on behalf of the most neglected and vulnerable populations at the United Nations, both in New York and in Geneva, Switzerland, at UPR, where the issues of religious liberty, international religious liberty, are heard. And why and how all of this work and the work of the future councils of the United Nations are built upon the investment, generous spirit, and remarkable life of David D'Amico, 
David, stand. David, as CBF field personnel, maintained a remarkable ministry at the United Nations. He was there as an advocate for people and compassion on this globe. David, we owe you such a debt for the seeds that you planted there, for the good soil that you were to this ministry today. Good soil, and what a harvest. Just Last week on February the 5th, Shane McNary, one of our field personnel in Slovakia, Shane was in Geneva to testify about the religious persecution and religious liberty issues in Eritrea in Africa. Three weeks before, he'd been there to also talk about the treatment of all minority religions around the world. That day, on that judicatory panel from the United Nations were two Roma women, Roma women from the Ruth School, Roma women who have been touched with love and compassion through the mission hands of so many, and there they were on that judicatory, and here was Shane walking into that room, tears in his eyes to see Roma be there. This ministry of reaching towards the world, it's good soil. And we will embrace the globe again because of the foundational work begun by David D'Amico and continued now. I guess one, one thing I want to say to you clearly is that this is not parachute missions. This isn't just drop in for a vacation with a little mission sprinkled in on the side. This is self-sacrificing, biblical, honest, holistic service. It is worth the lives of our field personnel. And it is worth your investment. This is global engagement to strengthen the lived and spoken word of Christ around the world. It's co-missioning. It's the church and field personnel and local teams and who comes to the table. It's co-missioning together, but it's not cheap. And it can't be run by the change that's left over in your car cup holder. It's better than three cups of tea or a hundred other widely advertised NGOs. That may be great, well-intentioned, but in the end there's kind of a love them and leave them game when the grant is up or the person's finished, or burned out, or sick. You're asked to give to many charities, to many good works. But be clear, the gospel is not another charity. We're talking a Mago Day. A Mago Day. Where is the image of God in these lives set free to live and yield a hundredfold? Sharing God's love and the witness of Christ is eternal. It is a more excellent way. And you know what? The persistence of God can be trusted. He keeps on giving, sending, trying. God will keep sowing, will keep casting. Once you've done your part, he'll keep send someone else. There will be another. So to collaborate into missions is to have centers of foundational partnerships that bring about 
this sustainable type of venture. I'm going today and for the days to come to nurture this vision for CBF. My dream is that our churches, these vital, vibrant churches that are living out a joyful, enlightened, compassionate, Christ-like life. Highland, that's you. Joyful, compassionate, vibrant, enlightened. It is time for our voices to be raised in this country and in this world. That this way of living Christian faith to shine. It's my commitment to nurture this vision today and for the days to come, that we become the most vital, vibrant, Protestant, denominational group in the country. We got the goods. I want our voice to be proud and reflect the heart of our churches, exemplify the best we have to give. So let me leave you with these words of challenge from Philippians 2. Highland, now if your experience of Christ's encouragement and love means anything to you, if you've known something of the fellowship of his spirit and all that it means in kindness and deep sympathy, then do make my best hope for you come true. Live together in harmony. Live together in love as though you had only one mind and one spirit between you. Never act from motives of rivalry or personal vanity, but in humility think more of each other than you do of yourselves. None of you should think only of your own affairs, but should learn to see things from other people's point of view. So then, my dearest friends, as you have always followed my advice, be keener than ever to work out the salvation that God has given you with a proper sense of awe and responsibility. It's not you. It is God who is at work within you, giving you the will and the power to achieve his purpose. Good soil. Good soil. God will bring the harvest. And so we pray, use us, Lord. Amen.